Thank you, Dave and Mary. Hello again, and uh, hello especially to the high schoolers who are in today. Hope uh, you get lots out of God's Word uh, as well. I had an interesting chat with someone uh, last week. We got into the topic of freedom. Uh, it was on my mind after last week's sermon, and we got talking about it, and I asked him, well, what's your definition of freedom? And uh, just before I tell you his answer, what would your answer to that be? What would your definition of freedom be? Well, he said, for him, freedom was doing whatever I want, whenever I want. Doing whatever I want, whenever I want. How similar was that definition to yours? I reckon it's a pretty common view of freedom. And he was saying that that's what he wants. That's what he wants in life. He wants to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, basically. That's how he wants to live. He certainly gave the the, uh, the understandable caveat that, of course, he doesn't want to hurt anyone and do anything to hurt anyone in the process. But other than that, he'd like to live his life doing whatever he wants, whenever he wants. How appealing is that life to you? Well, there is lots of, that is appealing to thinking about a life like that. And we, you know, to be honest, we should be thankful that we could even think about such a life with the opportunities that we have because uh, most people throughout history or and most people throughout the world today wouldn't even dream of living anywhere near that. So we can give thanks to the opportunities we have. But the Christian life is quite different, isn't it? It has a different goal to do whatever you want, whenever you want. Actually, the goal of the Christian life is to put yourself under God's chosen king. Jesus, and do whatever he wants you to do. So rather than living a life of self-rule, it's a life of being ruled by someone else, by Jesus. Now, of course, I don't need to tell you that's massively different to our culture. It's quite different to how most people live. You know, a quick scroll through your phone shows people traveling wherever they want or dining out wherever they want or behaving however they want without any thought to what Jesus might want. But if we want to live the Christian life, then we're going to need to realize this is a different life than doing whatever we want, whenever we want, but doing whatever he wants. And if you're anything like me, there's going to be times where this is really hard. I don't know, can you think of a time when you thought, this Christian thing, it's getting really hard right now? Uh, whether you're a Christian or not, can you think of a time when you thought living as a Christian was hard? Maybe it's when you saw what others do and you wanted to do it as well, but you know it conflicts with what God wants. Or maybe you don't like what God says about this aspect of life and you wished it would be different. Maybe it was a time when you were really discouraged about something and it was just easier not to think that God was in control. It might be a time that you lost something or it cost you something for following Jesus. And you think to yourself, well, this is really hard. Am I going to keep going with God? Is it still worth doing? 
And, you know, and people might think you're, as well as what you think, what you experience, other people's experience of you will affect that as well. So I was at a, a school function. My church, go, my daughter goes to a church school and, uh, I met an old, old Christian friend who we was sharing, sharing stories and he was telling him about how he decided to bring his kids to the school and he was explaining his reasons to someone else at, at the school. And uh, he said, well, part of the reason why we changed schools was because of our Christian faith. And the other guy just looked at him so weirdly. Like, how, how can either, how is that a factor in your decision? Or how could you have that as a, as a thing in your life at all? This was at a church school. Well, from God's word today, this word is for those moments. It's for the moments of doubt. It's for the moments of pressure. It's for the moments when it's hard to be Christian. Because it answers two key questions for us. It answers, is Jesus the right king to follow? Of all the things that we could follow in life, including ourselves, is Jesus the right king? And secondly, it answers, is Jesus a good king to follow? Let's have a look first. Is Jesus the right king to follow? Open again to Mark 11, and let's see what God has to say. Uh, Tom's already given us a little bit of the recent events that have happened in Jesus' ministry. Uh, A lot of those were up in the north, in Galilee. And as we saw from last week, he's coming, the last couple of weeks, he's coming down south towards Jerusalem. And now he's come to uh, the last two towns that you can see on the map just before you enter Jerusalem. You kind of do a hook to enter Jerusalem. Uh, Bethphage and Bethany. They're towns on the Mount of Olives. And when you're there, you can look over the Kidron Valley and you see Jerusalem, the spiritual heart of uh, of the faith. And as Jesus comes to these towns, uh, the political tension was rising around Jesus. You know, he gained quite a reputation up in the north and quite a following as well through his miracles and the authority of his teaching and his love for people. And so there were many who were excited of Jesus coming. But there were others who wanted him dead, claiming he was blaspheming against God by forgiving sin or by calling God his father. And now Jesus is getting very close to the center of faith, to uh, to Jerusalem. He was coming for the Passover. And so what is Jesus about to make a play here? Or what will the authorities do as he comes close? Well, Jesus changes tact from what he's previously been doing. He acts very deliberately from this point on. And particularly to make himself known for who he is. Because remember, back uh, previously, he, whenever he healed someone or drove out a demon, he said, don't tell anyone about me. Of course, they didn't. <laughs> they ignored that completely. But Jesus' intention was not to be uh, well-known and be surrounded by crowds. But now it's different. Now he's going public. He's going public as king. And he gives some very specific instructions to his disciples. He told two of his disciples to go to Bethphage and there you'll find a colt that is a young donkey, which no one had ridden. 
untie it and bring it back. Seems a bit of a strange request. You know, Jesus has just spent the last three years walking around Galilee on foot. It's not like he suddenly was tired and needed a ride in for the last leg. But, but Jesus' disciples, they did, they did that. They did as Jesus asked. They find a colt tied up just as Jesus said they would. And of course, the people there are going, what are you doing taking away our colt? But, uh, when they say it's, when the disciples say, no, it's for Jesus, they go, oh, okay, fine. Go for it. I don't know, maybe it's like, uh, someone comes up to you and says, can I borrow your car? Harry Styles needs it. We'll bring it back. And, well, look, uh, you know, he's in town for his concert. And so for, not for you, Tim, but for others, it might be an honor for you to let Harry use it. Maybe it's just me. That's all right. <laughs> anyway, the disciples take the donkey. The townspeople let him, let it go. Uh, take it to Jesus. Uh, but why does Jesus do this? Why? Why does he deliberately want a colt, a young donkey, to ride on? Uh, well, it's a bit unclear in Mark's Gospel, but if you go to Matthew's account of this same episode, he gives an explanation. I'll put it up on the screen. He says, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Let me explain a couple of things there. The prophet is a prophet, uh, Zechariah. We'll see that in a second. Uh, daughter Zion, uh, Zion is another name for Jerusalem. It's actually the hill in Jerusalem, but it represents the whole of Jerusalem. So God's people, daughter Zion. And uh, we've got a king coming, your king coming. And you'll know he's your king because he comes on a donkey, a colt. And so Jesus is doing something here with this colt. He's fulfilling the words of an Old Testament prophet. It's not a sore feet thing. He's making a statement. So let's go digging into the Old Testament to work out what Jesus is referencing here. Uh, again, we need to go to the book of Zechariah because Zechariah is the one who gives this quote. Uh, we read it earlier in, uh, in our service. And Zechariah, see, it's towards the end of the Old Testament. Uh, he was around very late in the day. Israel had uh, come back from exile. Remember, God punished Israel, sent them into exile into Babylon, but now they've come back. The Jerusalem had been rebuilt, the walls had been rebuilt, the temple was back, but the economy and their spiritual state was in crisis. They were facing hard times. And in the midst of the crisis, the word of the Lord comes to Zechariah, to the people. And in these verses, we have a promise of a future king. Here's the full quote from Zechariah again, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion, shout, daughter, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So now do you get what Jesus is doing in, uh, in our episode today? By riding on a colt, He's now claiming to be God's promised king. He's deliberately aligning himself with the God, uh, with uh, this king uh, promised by God. But, you know, still a bit weird. Why a cult? Why a donkey? 
It looks a weird choice for a king. You know, don't kings ride horses and chariots and carriages and things? Well, yes, back in Jesus' day, they did. So when, uh, but when King David was on the throne, there weren't horses in Israel. And so the donkey was actually the royal animal. Jesus is deliberately referencing David's kingly line, the line of the Messiah, God's chosen king. And so if you want God's choice of king for you to follow, the only king worth giving up your freedom for is the right king, God's choice of king, Jesus. Because God's king will be all-conquering. You want to be on this king's side. The next verse in Zechariah reads this, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim, the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and the river to the ends of the earth. If you look closely actually in this quote, uh, can you see there's two people mentioned? When it says, firstly at the top, I will take away the chariots, that's referencing God. God will do this. But the king himself is in the second half. What do we learn about this king? Well, he will proclaim peace. And his rule will extend from sea to sea, to the ends of the earth. So this king that God promised is not a warrior king. He's not a, a, a revolutionary insurgent king. God will bring the victory and this king will proclaim peace. And then his rule will be ultimate in authority. Ruling from sea to sea to the end of the earth. It's a total rule over all people for all time. And so putting it, uh, putting it together, this is the king that Jesus is claiming to be. And the townsfolk get this right. Back in Mark 11, if you've got your Bible open, have a look at verse 8. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields for Jesus on the donkey to walk through. And as you may know, this is, this is uh, where our Palm Sunday celebrations come from. Lining the road with branches. But you see, they also line the road with cloaks. Now, cloaks were, you know, we've got, all got jackets or puffers or things like that. But back then, cloaks were an essential possession. Uh, you had your cloak so you could stay warm uh, when you know, in winter or at night. It was a really important thing to own. But here they lay down their cloaks before Jesus as a gesture of reverence. It was as if they were saying, Here, Jesus, take all I have. I lay it down before you because you are my king. Well, that was them. What about you? When the world seems so appealing and we're tempted to lay down our everything to get a bit more money or to get that respect or to live our best life. Or if we're at school and our friends are going, well, they're the ones that I want to follow. Whatever they do, I want to do. And you might wonder, well, is Jesus the right king 
Is there something better to follow? Someone better to follow? Well, in those moments, hear the word of the Lord today. Jesus is the king to follow. God is saying, he is my chosen king. He is the one I spoke about through the words of Zechariah. This one, Jesus, is the king to follow in your life because I have sent him. He will rule over all things. So let us be like those people lining the streets, laying down everything at the feet of Jesus, putting our trust in him, knowing that he is the right king to follow. He's the right king because he's God's chosen king, but is he a good king to follow? Is he a good king to follow? What is he like as a king? Do I want to follow him and give give my life to him? Well, with his actions of getting this cult, riding on it, fulfilling the words of Zechariah, he's, he's imbibing all that is spoken of that king. And we've already seen he's not, uh, this king is not a tyrant or a despot that just gets what he wants no matter the cost. But instead he comes as one who is gentle. He was gentle. You think about it, what king in history would want to be known as being gentle? You know, kings like Alexander or Julius Caesar or Napoleon, they want to be known for their, their strength or their impressiveness, or their conquests. But Jesus is to be known by his gentleness. Or in the original Zechariah quote, it was lowliness, his humility. That's what this king is on about. There's a lot of attention on pride at the moment, on pride, the pride of being who you are and living the life you want to live. But Jesus comes as the anti-pride king. He's the epitome of humility. He achieves his victory through self-sacrifice, not self-determination. He dies in five days' time after this as our substitute and then is raised again. This is the way of the king. And so he's not like other people who might be over us, an overbearing parent or a boss with unrealistic expectations or an over-controlling spouse. No, he's gentle, humble. He brings peace and, a, and peace with God. And so Jesus gives this invitation to us all. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke on you and learn from me, because I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's who Jesus is. That's the kind of king Jesus is. He is the servant king, doing whatever it takes to serve us and bring us to God. He's one you can entrust your life to. You know, I'm sure all the, all the army generals in Russia are kept in line by fear, I reckon. Any sign of weakness, weakness and disloyalty and they're dispatched with. But Jesus rules with gentleness, kindness and peace. 
He is ruler over all. But he's a good ruler. He's a good king to follow. And if Jesus is the right and good king, then my friends, don't let anyone else rule you. Don't have any other ruler over you. When you're at work, don't let the desire for the promotion or the next gain lead you to act unethically or unkindly towards your colleagues or clients. When you're out with friends, don't let your quest for a good time lead you to, I don't know, drinking a bit too much and saying that harsh word to someone. When you're travelling, don't let the thrill of the experience rule you. Enjoy it, but don't let it rule you. Or don't let the pressure of the work trip lead you to put your guard down and lead you to avenues that will displease God. When you're thinking about your health, don't let fear of the future rule you and lead you to turn away from trusting the Lord. Because none of those things will be ultimately satisfying. None of those things are good at ruling you and they certainly won't give you peace with God. Only the promised king that Zechariah promised can bring you peace with God. He is the only good ruler to live under. And so as we finish, let's have a look at what the crowd say at the very end of our of this uh, passage. Turn back with me to Mark 11. Uh, when Jesus heads into the city, the people in the city will later cry, crucify him, crucify him. But not the crowds in the country. Hosanna, they cry. In fact, it says, have a look, it says, uh, those who went ahead and those who followed shouted these things. So we've got some ahead of Jesus, some behind Jesus walking, uh, riding on a donkey in the middle. It's a royal procession through the palm branches and over the coats, the cloaks. And, uh, some commentators think these, uh, these next few lines were a chant, like a bit of a call and response as they march towards Jerusalem. And so it's maybe like this. Uh, those in front might be the the yellow have the, have the yellow lines, and those behind have the blue lines. So you know, those in front say Hosanna. Those behind say Blessed is are those who come in the name of the Lord. And those in front say Blessed is the coming kingdom of our Father David. And people at the back Hosanna in the highest. Can you imagine that coming down down the mountain through the valley into the city of Jerusalem. And from that, you might see in your Bibles uh, what Hosanna means in the footnote. It means save. They knew what Jesus has come to do. They're saying save. Save, the one, save you who comes in the name of the Lord. Save us, King of, David, King of our father David. And so this week... Will you be like those people living your life in praise of the king? Will you let him be the one to rule you? Will you put aside any desire to rule yourself? To be ruled by, I'm going to do whatever I want, whenever I want. Instead to give him everything. Your hopes, your dreams, your fears, your children, your longings 
your finances, your desires, knowing that he is the right king for you to follow. And he is a good king. Let me pray. Our Father, we cry, Hosanna. May you save us through your chosen King, Jesus. May we come to him, for he brings us to you. For he is gentle and humble and has died for us. May we not have any other ruler over our lives, but may he rule us and lead us to peace particularly peace with you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Well, as the musicians come up, uh, let us sing our own version of praise uh, to King Jesus. Please stand.